This is episode number 33 with Augustine LeBron, the author of The Laws of Trading. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, and welcome back. I have an interesting show for you today. It's a different perspective than we usually cover, which is why I think you're going to enjoy it so much. My guest today is Augustine LeBron, and he is the author of a book called The Laws of Trading, A Trader's Guide to Better Decision-Making for Everyone. Now, my guest tells me that trading is essentially all about how to make good decisions. And so he's got 11 universal laws of trading in his book that he correlates to how you in your own life can make better decisions. It's super interesting. And so, you know, many of you may not have any familiarity with the world of trading. I know that I don't, other than through movies like Trading Places with Eddie Murphy, if you remember that movie, that was so funny. Um, But it was a really aggressive male-dominated environment. And so we get into what the world of trading looks like today, why it has been predominantly male-dominated, and how and why that is shifting today. And more importantly, then we get into some of his laws so that we can use the skills that he's cultivated to then make better decisions in our lives, which you're going to find really interesting. I, I would have never been able to realize that trading and life decisions were so connected. Like when you buy something on Amazon, he would tell you that's a trade. So it's a fascinating conversation and I hope that you'll enjoy it. A little bit about my guest, he started his career as a trader and researcher at Jane Street Capital, which is one of the largest market-making firms in the world. And he currently runs the consulting firm Esselin Research, where he helps clients integrate modern decision-making approaches in their business. So this is a fun episode. Even if you have no idea of the finance world, I think that that's that's the beauty of it. It's going to create some new awareness and learning in your life and how you can apply this world of trading into your everyday decision-making. So let's meet today's guest. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Well, this is going to be an interesting conversation because we're going to be talking about trading, which is an area that I don't know much about and I would imagine is going to be is pretty foreign to most of the women listening today. So before we get into your book, which is The Laws of Trading, A Trader's Guide to Better Decision-Making for Everyone, and I have to say I am intrigued to learn how trading is correlated with decision-making. I think it would be really interesting if you could tell us how you got into the world of trading and then take us into a typical day, because I, I think we've seen things in the movies or, you know, the bell being rung at the New York Stock Exchange. But beyond that, I I would imagine most of us don't really have much of a sense of what the, the life of a trader is like. 
Yeah, of course. And part of the reason I wrote the book is to maybe take the veil of mystery off of that a little bit. So I, I got into trading by via some kind of circuitous route. I did engineering in college, and then I got a job as an engineer. I designed uh, radio chips for cell phones, that sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, and then at the time, I was playing a lot of online poker, back when that was a legal and arguably uh, <laughs> profitable thing to do. Uh, and so and engineering was getting kind of boring, and so I thought, well, let's try to find a job that combines engineering and poker, and, well, that's basically trading. And so I found a job as a trader. Um, the interesting thing for me was that I found my job in trading in 2008, which if you'll remember was mm. one heck of a time to start a career in finance, yeah. uh, just as the world was imploding. But so, yeah, so that's my story. Um, but the job of a trader fundamentally is to understand the world, understand the securities you're trading and the relationships between them. And, and it's a job where things are always changing every day. There's something new, something new to learn, to understand, to improve. Well, it sounds interesting, but what, so what does a typical day look like? You know, I, I, I always picture it starting really early. And then I remember even when I worked in corporate, uh, a lot of the guys and, and I, and I'm going to say guys, because I know predominantly it's a male dominated industry and I want to get into that with you, mm -hmm. but they'd be leaving around four thirty. So what, can you just take us into what a typical day looks like? Yeah. So you come into work, um, maybe an hour or so before the market opens in the U S the market opens at nine 30. So probably coming in eight to eight 30 and you're trying to get a sense of what happened in the news overnight. Maybe you're talking to people in other time zones that, that work with you and you start trading, setting up your trading systems and that sort of thing. And then the market opens and there's usually a flurry of activity then, and that sort of calms down. And in the middle of the day, things are fairly calm. And so at that point, you're sort of having good conversations with the people around you about what's going on, planning for things, maybe doing a bit of um, studies and that sort of thing. And then activity ramps up a little bit towards the market close. Uh, and there's another flurry of activity there. And then after the close, there's no more trading. I mean, mostly no more trading. Uh, and so at that point, you're usually working on improving your systems, trying new ideas, chatting with people. Uh, and that's a typical day. Of course, some days, big news days, things things are active all day and you're just trying to keep up. And those can be quite different and a bit crazy, but crazy in a good way, mostly. <laughs> now, are traders somebody who are professionally trained to do this versus, you know, you hear about day traders. So people can also do this at home as well. Yeah, although I do like to draw a pretty strong distinction between the two, okay. because a lot of what you learn, at least what I think I've learned in my experience in trading, is that it's really hard to do it on your own, um, if only because nobody has a monopoly on good ideas. And all the best trades, all the best ideas that I've ever seen have come from the combination of different people with different backgrounds, different ideas um, coming together. And so I think success has many uh, parents, as it were. Mm. And I think the best trading companies that I'm familiar with, including the one that I used to work with, try to create this environment of collaboration because mm. that is really important. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating, to be honest. I, I love learning more about the world of finance and also how to be better with finances and, um, you know, just how the markets work. So when you're doing a trade, what does that look like? Can you, let's go micro now. Like how, how does that, how does that work? Um, sure. Yeah. Take us into a, an actual trade. 
So I think it varies a lot depending on what kind of trading you're doing. I mean, Warren Buffett, famously the Oracle of Omaha, he does trades by sitting in his little office in Omaha, mm. drinking a cherry Coke, reading the newspaper <laughs> and says, I want to buy Burlington Northern Santa Fe, the biggest railway company in the world, right? Like <laughs> That's kind of how he does his trades, right? Uh, in my case, it was much more technical and we'll say mathematical. So you have systems that are running automated trading, and you're essentially thinking about how those systems should react to things. So you're adjusting parameters. You're thinking about you're thinking about all the things that the machine hasn't been programmed to think about. We'll mm. say. And so, who are your clients when you're when you're a trader within an organization? So in my case, I worked for a proprietary trading firm, and so we didn't have any clients. It was a firm that is dedicated to serving the market as a market maker. That is to say, an entity that is always willing to buy or sell securities, ETFs, whatever. Um, and so we were trading on our own account, or on the firm's account, not my personal account. <laughs> right. But So you weren't representing clients and no. their investments. Exactly. So you're just, you're there providing a service to the world as the entity that is always willing to buy and sell. And hopefully you do that profitably. But so are you working for each other, you know, as a company? Are you making and losing money as a company? Exactly. Yeah, okay. That's what I was that's trying exactly to understand. That's exactly right. So it's the okay. firm's capital that's at risk. Okay. And you either do well or do poorly based on how well you do your job. Okay. And so you talked, and the title indicates that decision-making is a huge part of trading. Um, can you explain um, first your definition of trading and then how that led you into deciding to want to write a book about it. Right. Yeah. So as I talk about in the book, trading is just the act of buying and selling. And the thing is, we've been doing it since the dawn of recorded history. And we all do it. I mean, I like to tell the story of of my kids when they were when they were barely able to talk and playing Lego together, but they still managed to negotiate complex futures trades mm -hmm. so that they could just get the right Lego blocks for whatever <laughs> they were building, right? Like we're all natural born traders. Mm. And and trading on financial markets is somewhat more specialized, but the mechanics are basically the same. It's it's just buying and selling. Okay. So I do want to get into how trading taught you how to live, because I know that you mentioned that to me before the show started. Um, can you expand on what that means? Sure. So the thing about trading, especially in financial markets, is that there are a few natural barriers to entry. And, and what I mean by that is, if you want to set up a company to compete against Amazon, you have to come up with a few billion dollars to build out some warehouses, create the website, et cetera, et cetera. But in trading, all you really need is a trading account and a relatively small amount of money. And if you understand the world better than others do, then you'll do well. Mm. And, and so what this means is that trading in financial markets is all about making better decisions. And the best traders, at least in my view, are some of the best decision makers on earth. And my goal with the book is to highlight all the things that I think great traders think about mm. and to show how those ideas are super useful in all walks of life. Mm. Why do you think that trading is such a male-dominated industry? Um, you know, do you see that there are opportunities for women? I imagine that they would be great in this role, but why, why isn't there that much diversity there? Yeah, I've, I've had some amount of time to think about this. Uh, and certainly traditionally, the skills you need to be a good trader on the floors and commodities pits were basically three things, like a loud voice, 
height and some aggression, right? Mm. And none of those skills are really like brain power things, right? Mm. And so people hired traders back way back when from from people who played football and basketball in college. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Wow, um, that makes that, sense. That makes that sense. world is gone and has been for 20 years. Um, the thing is, nowadays trading rewards a skill set in math, computer science, to some extent, game playing like mm. poker. Mm-hmm. Um, and sadly, this is another area where women are underrepresented, but this time for a totally different reason. Um, and I, I really do think this is a bad thing. I think women really should think of finance and trading as a career path for them. So there's no more floor where you're standing there and screaming and yelling. I'm thinking of the movie Trading Places right, trading with Eddie places. Murphy, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you see, you see a trading floor on CNBC, uh, and so there's certainly a trading floor where IPO millionaires ring the bell. Um, but yeah. as far as I'm concerned, that's basically the only function of those places. It's basically just a show. Okay. I, I want, I always wondered about that. So you're saying that doesn't exist anymore. So there would be room for, and I could see maybe why women wouldn't have been drawn to that if it was, you know, a lot of tall, right. aggressive men screaming, that doesn't sound like a place that a lot of women would probably want to be. Um, so it's nice to hear that it's softened, for lack of a better word, and that, you know, there's room for women to explore it. And maybe, you know, even just hearing how you've translated this into this book now will help create a new framework to think about how trading. So. Yeah. So let's get into it, actually, because I'm very curious. Um, well, so uh, one oh, thing ahead, I please. do want to say, Michelle, yeah. about about women in trading is something I feel fairly, very strongly about is that sort of there's this personality type that people have this idea about trading as being sort of you have to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And, and in my opinion, that is actually at odds with reality. In fact, excessive self-confidence, in my experience, is much more problematic. It's one of the things that when I used to interview, um, I tried to filter for. Um, and the result is some of the best traders I've known in my career have been women, Mm. um, like Lillian, Rebecca, shout out to you if you're listening. But the thing is, (laughs) if you educate young women, especially in high school and college about what, what the job really is about, you find a ton of interest. Yeah, this is so good. So in the book, I know you talk a lot about rational decision-making. Why don't we start there? What, what does that mean? So to me, we all face decision points every day, right? I mean, simple stuff like, should I respond to this email now or can it wait? Uh, Should I cook dinner? Should I get some takeout? You know, and obviously bigger stuff too, right? Like Mm. which car should I buy? What features should I select? Or let's say you've been looking for a job, right? And you have two job offers and one pays a little bit less, but maybe you like the people there more and the other one has more potential, but maybe the work-life balance suffer. How do you choose, right? Mm. How do you make these choices? That's, to me, what rational decision-making is about. It's about making better plans and better choices. Okay. So why don't we go into a few of the laws in your book? There are 11 laws included, and maybe you could highlight two or three that would be applicable to a woman's life, and she could use in her day-to-day that doesn't have to include being on a trading, well, I won't even call it a trading floor in the world of trading. Sure. So the the law that I start out with, the first law of trading is I talk about motivation. And I feel like it's the foundation on which we build good decision-making skills. And in the trading context, the law is know why you're doing a trade before you trade. Mm. But, but this applies much more broadly. Because what we're talking about here is understanding ourselves, what motivates us, what makes us believe what we believe and do what we do. And 
I think this is more important than ever. Because, for example, again, going back to the job example, you know, over the course of people's work lives, people t- typically go through many career changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you and I both have, for example. Yeah. So if you're thinking about changing jobs or a career, let's start with the most important person in those decisions, and, and that's you. Why do you want to make that change? Um, I imagine you see this in your work as a life coach, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, helping people understand themselves, what drives them. I feel like that's the first step. And the the best decision makers that I know are incredibly good at looking into themselves, understanding their own beliefs and motivations. And this isn't some ability that you're born with, right? You can learn to introspect. And mm-hmm. in the book, hopefully, I talk about that process a bit. And I think it's a really powerful way to become a better decision maker. Yeah, it's interesting you just use the word introspect. I was just thinking it's a, an act of introspection, of going inside and understanding the motivation before you act before you make the decision, if I'm understanding you. That's exactly right. And the thing is, in trading, you know, going back to what you were saying about day traders, um, I feel like a lot of the time, the people who are amateur traders who are doing it, you might you might ask them, well, why are you doing this? And they'll say, well, it's about the money. But if you dig deeper, you'll understand that it's maybe something else, like, oh, you know, boredom at, at home or at work or, mm-hmm. you know, looking for a big score or, you know, the intellectual challenge or something like that, right? It, it's it's usually something else. Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. Okay, so understanding the motivation behind a decision before you make it. What is prompting you to either decide to switch careers, get back into the workforce, move across the country like my husband and I did with our exactly. family? Uh, you know, what's the motivation for us? It was good weather. So this is actually really, this is cool. Okay, so uh, why don't you take us to, into another law? So... Um, another law that I was thinking would be pretty interesting to talk about is this idea of edge. And in trading, this is the reason that your trades make money. And not in some statistical or mathematical sense, but in the storytelling sense. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about edge in our own lives, I feel like this is the other side of the motivation coin. Because we talked about, well, what we want and why we want it. But now we need to talk about what we're good at. And, and that's the question, right? Mm-hmm. What is your personal edge? Mm-hmm. What are the things that you're especially good at doing? And for a lot of people, myself included, it's not obvious or has mm-hmm. been not obvious in the past and certainly not obvious coming out of high school or college, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we can barely tie our shoes together, some of us. <laughs> <laughs> it, takes, it takes time and effort and trying lots of things to begin to learn where our talents lie. And, and I'm reminded of this quote by Abraham Maslow, which is this hierarchy of human needs, right? At the bottom, there's security and shelter and food. And at the top of the pyramid is self-actualization, right? It's the human need that Mm -hmm. once the other stuff is met, to feel like they've maximized the value of the life they have. And it's easy to get sidetracked into believing that life is all about happiness and the sense of instantaneous pleasures. But And and yet, it's a component. But for a lot of people... And this gets back to the idea of edge. Uh, a lot of people learn to think of it in terms of usefulness, right? Like, what am I good at? What can I contribute to the world? And I, again, I think really good decision makers put themselves in these positions to maximize their value, to use the edge that they possess. And of course, that edge can change over time, right? If, if you told me coming out of college, I'd be writing a book about trading and decision making, I'd have told you you were not. <laughs> right. Well, can you give us an example then, either from your own life or just a story that you're aware of where edge came into play? 
Yeah, so I think going back to the transition that I made from engineering to trading, um, you know, the poker that I was playing, it was interesting that I felt like um, I was surprised a little bit at how naturally I took to that. I mean, I'm kind of a naturally competitive person, so that shouldn't be all that surprising, but I was a bit surprised at um, how natural that felt to me. And I thought, well, I feel like I could do this for a living. And I thought about, you know, trading on my own, but I quickly realized that, that, you know, I didn't know the first thing. And so I, I probably could have stayed in engineering for, for a decent amount longer. I mean, I was pretty okay at it, but I felt like there was something else that I could sort of tap into. And so in my own personal journey, I think the idea of edge retro, like looking back on it now, I think that that was kind of an important thing for that career transition. Um, so, you know, when we talked about introspection with the motivation, it seems like introspection also in and evaluating what your strengths are. You know, there's a lot of talk about finding your zone of genius or what's your superpower. These are popular mm-hmm. terms everyone's talking about now um, from some books that have come out highlighting the, these concepts. And I think edge is important. And I think that, you know, even with the show, this is about tapping into mm-hmm. what you feel like you're being called to do. And I think oftentimes, like you said, it's hard to recognize in yourself. And I think sometimes it's the things that come most easily to you. You think, wait, where's the value in that? Because it's so easy for you. And then you realize, wait, that is valuable because it's these are not skill sets that are that easy for someone else. They have different skill sets. Yeah, exactly. And, and and the thing I always tell my kids is, you know, everybody says life is short. Um, I prefer to tell them life is long. Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of things out there. The world is this fascinating, complex place. Like the idea that you're going to be the same person at age 30 as you were at age 20 or 40 or 50. I mean, that's crazy, right? You're going to yeah. change. You're going to evolve. And like allow yourself to explore all these different sides of who you are, right? That I mean, seems super compelling to me. Yeah, no, this is so good. And so, you know, once you have a sense of your edge is the idea, then that becomes an impetus to make better decisions to, you know, this is really what we're ultimately doing, right? With the trade, you want to make your best informed decision on that trade so that you can get the benefits, the best return on that that trade. And exactly. so it's the same thing here. If I'm on, if I'm getting this concept, these concepts. Absolutely. No, you're, you're bang on. It's this idea of understanding what it is that motivates you and also understanding what you can offer the world that's unique to you and finding that sweet spot that sort of maximizes those things. Yeah, no, this is great. So, you know, this really def- definitely falls in line with what we talk about week to week on the show, whether through a woman's entrepreneurial journey or through an expert like you that creates a new lens to look at their lives. Okay, so let's try another one. I'd love to hear another law. Sure. Um, so the last law that I have in my book uh, is the one that I hope ties it all together. And this is this idea. The law is if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Um, and because in trading, at least, we really are locked in this sort of Darwinian struggle for life or death. Every profitable trade you do is a signal to the world. Hey, there's money here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so every day that you run your strategy, you know that it's getting slightly less profitable. And you need to go find the next thing. And standing still is definitely a guarantee of getting left behind. And it reminds me of the myth of Sisyphus, this ancient uh, Greek myth, where he's condemned to push a boulder up a hill, knowing it's going to fall back down again. (laughs) And you can view this as this sort of life-destroying struggle, right? Where Mm. it's just never-ending 
awfulness. Um, but consider this. I- imagine a counterfactual world, right, where your trades, your ideas, your products never become unprofitable and never need updating and always do great in the market. And every day you come in and every day you push the buttons and shuffle the papers on those ideas. And there's no point in looking for new stuff because the current stuff still makes as much money as ever. Mm. Well, for me, I honestly can't imagine a worse hell than being stuck in a job destined to do the same thing mm. over and over again. The the interest, the joy, the calling of the job is in that quest to improve. Mm. And I think of it as those ideas you developed, I mean, they're not really yours. Uh they're more of a discovery than a piece of property like a boat or a sandwich, right? Right. And, and the value that you provide is in the ability to find those new things, to develop and to give them life. And there's this great quote. Uh, my wife and I and the kids, we went to see Apollo 11 mm. uh, in the IMAX theater. And it reminds me of this quote by John F. Kennedy. He gives a speech in 1962 about the Apollo moon program where he says, I'm not going to do the Boston accent, but uh, (laughs) no, he says uh, in this big speech, um, we choose to go to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Mm, And the great decision makers I've known all think like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the universe is constantly expanding. We're not meant to be static beings. We're meant to grow, to expand, to challenge, to know that we're going to be taking risk as we push on something, it could fall back on us. But that's part of the excitement and the joy. But actually, I think risk is another one of your laws. And I think it's actually Mm. an important one to talk about too, because most people I would say are risk averse. My guest today, who's the the podcast that comes out every Wednesday, uh, was naturally risk averse, but then she felt called for more. And she looked at her fears and challenged them and realized that she they were a gift. So, you know, and with trading, obviously risk is everything, right? What, you know, mm-hmm. so, so let's get into risk. Cause I think it's yeah. a really valuable law that you talk about. Yeah. So the law that I have about risk is, um, take the risks you're being paid to take and hedge the others. And so what that means for, for people who aren't, uh, deep into finance, hedging is a concept where, um, you basically do one trade and then you do a second trade to eliminate some of the risks Mm. of the first trade. So Mm. let's take uh, an example. Let's say that you're some kind of stock analyst and you say that some company is going to do well in the future, right? And Mm -hmm. you say, okay, well, for these reasons, these reasons, I think that this is a good buy, right? Mm -hmm. And so then your company goes off and buys that that stock, but then there's a big market crash Mm. and everything goes down. And Yes, the company that you thought was really good did actually not crash as badly as everything else. It actually did better than everything else. But that's cold comfort for you because it still went down and you still lost money, right? Mm -hmm. And so a thing you could do, and I think that's probably fairly sensible to do, is to buy the, the stock of the company you like and then hedge it by selling some big index ETF or something like that, something that lets you uh, get exposed to the downside of everything crashing. And that way, what you're really, the bet you're really putting on is the difference between that stock and the rest of the market. You've taken on the risk that you think you're getting paid to take, and you've hedged 
this other risk, this sort of crash risk that, that you didn't really want to get paid to take. You weren't getting paid to take and you didn't really want to take it. So you hedge that away. And so that's a very standard idea in trading. And I think it completely and fully applies to the decisions we make every day. Um, you know, we take all sorts of risks in our daily lives. And some of the reasons that we think, well, maybe I shouldn't take that risk isn't so much because of that risk, but it's because of the other risks that go along with it, mm. right? Like, oh, I, I want to do a career change. Oh, but that's going to mean moving cities or uh, I want to move cities up. That's going to mean changing my job, right? There's a risk you want to take, you feel compelled to take, you think is a good idea, but it, attached with it come these other risks. And a lot of what you do as a trader is think about, well, how can I mitigate those things that are secondary, these, these risks that come with the risks I want? How can I mitigate them? Um, and I talk a lot about that in the book. Well, actually, can you give us an example, again, either from your life or from a story that you're aware of that articulates this? Um, yeah. So one thing certainly is, you know, when I when we decided to, my Anna, my wife and I, we decided to to leave California or leave engineering my job and, and find another job, we were thinking, well, that's probably going to mean leaving California, right? We'd have to go to New York or or somewhere else. And Anna was pregnant at the time. And so we thought, well, hmm, this is kind of going to be awkward. We have a nice little support structure here in California. Um, what can we do? And one of the options for where we might go if I found a job in finance would be basically either New York or London. And so my my mom and my sister were living in London at the time. Mm. And so that became a very natural way to hedge this sort of what's going to happen to our family once this new baby comes risk, right? Mm. That's not really a risk that we were intending on taking when we decided, well, let's find a different career. Um, and so we found a way to hedge it by okay, well, if we move to London, we'll have access to free babysitting. I mean, that can't hurt, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and you'll have your family there. Exactly. So uh, that's the kind of thing that, you know, it it brings in some creativity, brings in some open-minded sort of thinking um, in order to figure out ways of hedging those sorts of risks. So would you say that to be successful in trading, then you really need to master the skill? I think so, certainly. You're always going to want to do trades, um, and those trades will always come with attendant risks that you, you're not getting paid to take, right? You just have money exposed, have some risk that you probably need to figure out how to hedge that risk. Yeah, no, I'm thinking this is interesting. And I think that some people are naturally just risk takers. You know, I'm thinking when you're talking about making the move and we did have family here on my husband's side and actually it turns out on my side too, I've gotten <laughs> to know family but that wasn't part of the decision-making because I wasn't as familiar um, with that side of my family. Um, but I feel like sometimes you can just go all in, you know, mm -hmm. and just say, whatever, let's just do this. Um, but in the decision-making framework and this idea as it's correlated to trading, that would be considered an aggressive move, I guess, versus one that's more balanced. Yeah. I, and it's not that you have to hedge every risk that you're not getting paid to take. Mm -hmm. It's just that you should think about them. And I think that's that's a thing that is definitely true culturally in trading. There's, there's a level of paranoia that is um, present in being a good trader that would be considered incredibly unhealthy in normal life, but is incredibly important and valuable 
uh, in trading? Like, what are all the ways that this thing could go wrong? And believe me, it is, you know, if you have a long enough career in trading, it is incredible <laughs> the degree and the kinds of things that can go wrong with trades that certainly seem very safe. And so some, some of them are unavoidable. Um, you know, if I'm doing a trade in Thailand in some Thai stock, there's not a whole lot of things I can do to hedge, uh, you know, military coup risk, right? Mm. Like that's just a risk that I have on, right? Mm -hmm. I put some money in Thailand, it might get confiscated. There's not a whole lot I can do about it, right? Mm -hmm. But at least I'm thinking about it. Like what are the chances of this happening? Is this a sensible risk to take? And so when you're talking about people being uh, maybe excessively risk-taking or excessively risk-averse, mm. I think uh, doing this mental accounting, sometimes explicit accounting of all the things that could go wrong can sometimes temper some of the excessive risk-taking and at the same time for people who are constitutionally risk-averse, allow them to see that, well, it's not that bad, right? At some level, people, I think, in my experience, people who are very risk-averse are more worried about the things they're not thinking about more than the ones they have explicitly thought about. And so trying to do this accounting, I think, helps with that. Well, actually, this leads me into the next question, which is, do you have a favorite book or resource that women who want to learn more about the world of finance or even trading should pick up? So I think the classic uh, the classic one is by uh, Burton Malkiel. Mal um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Um, but he talks about how active mutual funds don't actually add any value or in expectation don't add any value. And so the best investments that you should think about are things that just track indices, index funds, that sort of thing, and things that just minimize costs. And that's, you know, rule number two, right? Just minimize costs as much as you can. Yeah. Um, sound, uh, sound practical advice. And and I'll right. have, I'll have show notes for all of this. So yeah. one of us uh, the, can look it up. Oh, you found it. The, the book is a random walk down wall street. I mean, it's, it's been around for a while. Um, but I think it's still a classic. Um, yeah. This is great because it won't be some of the overly popu popular popularized books out there. So exactly. I think uh, it'll give a new perspective. And I, and I love that. Okay. So can you leave the women listening with your three best tips on how to live a good life based on the work that you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think I just want to summarize what we've talked about a little bit. I think number one is know yourself, understand your motivations, understand what you're good at, what you want to improve at. I would say number two is recognize that we live in a competitive world. And so let's accept that it's true and understand how to work effectively within it. Um, and, the, and the third one is this idea of adaptation, this idea that the striving to get better is the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful place to end, actually, because that is, this is what it's all about. <laughs> it's the, uh, the striving to be your best self. So thank mm -hmm. you. This has been such an interesting conversation and I appreciate your time. No, I'm glad, I'm glad to have come on, Michelle. I really enjoyed it. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I like bringing guests on that challenge us and allow us to have a new perspective and lens on our lives and why we choose to do the things that we do. And if you enjoyed it, I hope that you'll share it with a friend. If you want to learn more about Augustine and his book and the work that he's doing, you can go to Laws of trading.com. Again, that's lawsoftrading.com. And everything can be found over on the show notes at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 033. 
And I will say that if you want to learn more about the world of finance and a seven-step wealth framework, then check out episode number 26 with my guest, Hilary Hendershot, who came on to discuss how we can own our financial future, which I think is essential for all women. So thank you again for joining me and we will reconnect next Wednesday. Bye for now.